This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Today's lifestyle demands the best in wireless. And with Pulse Cellular, you have the best options available. Switch to Pulse Cellular for unlimited talk, text, and high-speed data. Coast-to-coast with no contracts, no credit checks, and no overage fees. One line for $65 or four lines for just $45 each, including hotspot, Wi-Fi calling, and 50 gigs per line. And for all you travelers, we got you covered in Canada and Mexico. Plus, text and data in over 210 countries worldwide. All with the best phones or bring your own that's pretty awesome get the best user experience on mobile at pulsecellular.com if you're a loser tune in and you'll be a winner it's the moranalytics podcast talking buffalo sports yankees wwe 80s music and pop culture and now here's your host patrick moran Welcome one, welcome all, welcome to episode 158 of the Moranalytics podcast presented today by our friends over at Pulse Cellular. Thank you as always for listening and for downloading. If you have not yet subscribed to this future award-winning podcast, please go ahead and do so right now. And also, by the way, go on YouTube and subscribe to the Moranalytics podcast YouTube channel. Got all kinds of exclusive audio content coming your way very very soon. Before I even talk about today's episode, I want to quickly share the sentiments that I feel and so many other media and fans out there, they've done the same. And I want to express my sincere condolences and well wishes to WJR 550's Jeremy White and his wife, Molly. They were pregnant with quads. Sadly, none of the babies survived birth. Jeremy's been absent on WGR for reasons that now we know why. And earlier this week, he came on the air with his colleague and his friend Howard Simon, and he shared the very emotional, gut-wrenching details of what happened. He struggled and he got through it, which was something, to be honest with you, I never would be able to do. It was very heartbreaking to hear the story on the air, the shock and the pain in Jeremy's voice was unmistakable. But again, he got through it. I have no personal relationship with Jeremy. We don't follow each other on Twitter or anything like that, but Jeremy did do this podcast before. And it was a great interview. He was an awesome guest. I hope he and Molly can start to find some peace and heal. And I'm sure that the support of friends and fans and strangers are going to help. One last thing, too, because it's Buffalo, so I really shouldn't be surprised. Molly started a page, a fundraising campaign to raise funds for the Western New York Perinatal Bereavement Network. And they've already raised $12,000 in like a couple days. It's absolutely amazing. But again, not surprising But the way Western New Yorkers take care of their own, it never ceases to amaze me. So best wishes, Jeremy and Molly. Hope things get better for you. As for today, what a great episode I got for you. Act one, I got for you today, Mary Alice Demler, 
award-winning, very popular news anchor at WGRZ-TV. She's going to be my guest. By the way, she's the first and to date the only Buffalo-based news anchor to ever win a New York Emmy for Best News Anchor. We talk about her life and her career, a fascinating life, a fascinating career. Talk about her growing up in North Tonawanda, staying local for college, competing in beauty pageants when she was young, using that money to help wipe out student debt, how she got into the news business, the ins and outs of it. She talks about in detail the tragedy that hit very close to home with her earlier this year. We end with a mini lighting round. Great stuff, again, with one of Buffalo, New York's great news anchor, Grace Mary Alice Demler. After that, I got a second segment today. My man Joe joins me for another installment of The Running with Joe. Today, we're talking Buffalo Bills, more specifically, three struggling players right now, Cody Ford, Zay Jones, and of course, Josh Allen. We also talk about the significance of Sunday's game coming up in Tennessee, a game that, by the way, I think is even more important than last week's New England Patriots game. And we also talk about an historic Wednesday night this past week for wrestling fans as AEW and NXT went head-to-head for the first time. And then Joe finishes up the segment with his, uh, he's got a take on the Buffalo Sabres. A great episode, very extended one, a long episode today. So I'm not going to waste any more time here at the top. Let's get right down to business. First up is my interview with the talented, beautiful, very popular Mary Alice Demler, followed by the far less attractive... Joe with The Running With Joe. Let's do it. Okay, my guest today is an award-winning TV news anchor, one of the most popular in Buffalo to come along in a long time. I am talking about Mary Alice Demler from WGRZ TV, Channel 2 in Buffalo. Mary Alice, how you doing? Thanks for doing the pod. Great, Patrick. Good to be with you. I'm thrilled to have you. I've been lucky to have a few guests from... Channel 2 on the podcast before I've had Heather Pruzak and Melissa Holmes, of course, Adam Manini. So glad to have you on now. And I kind of want to do the same thing, typical of this podcast. And let's give fans an opportunity to know more about you, kind of a behind the camera type of deal. So let's kind of circle back to the beginning a little bit. You grew up in North Tonawanda, right? That's right. Born and raised. And I'm actually the sixth generation of Demler in North Tonawanda. So uh, folks ask why I still live there because it's my ancestral home, I guess you could say. What was life like in North Tonawanda for a young Mary Alice Demler? You know what? Um, It was great. I mean, a great middle-class community and uh, the city of North Tonawanda had a wonderful recreation department when I was growing up and myself and I have three sisters and a brother. We took advantage of everything our community had to offer. So whether that was, you know, parks and rec, you know, arts and crafts program, uh, or whether it was, we had uh, just a few blocks from my house. It's called Memorial pool. It was this huge Olympic sized pool where we did competitive like junior Olympic swimming and diving all summer. Um, there was a summer theater work workshop also that my sister and I took part in for a lot of years. Uh, So life was good. The school system was great. Community was safe. It was really a wonderful place to grow up. And obviously I enjoyed it and I still live there now. Was there a little bit of sibling competition amongst activities? You know what? what? Not really. Um, My brothers and sisters uh, and I, we all had 
different interests. You know, we, none of us really, there wasn't really a lot of crossover. I mean, my, my younger sister that I'm closest in age to, she's two and a half years younger. Uh, she did summer theater with me like two years, but that really wasn't her thing. She was really the athlete in the family. She and my next older sister played a lot of sports and my brother did too, but, uh, I was really more an arts kind of gal. So, you know, varied interests. There was really never a dull moment in the house, though. You know, kids always running one place or another to a rehearsal or a practice or whatever have you. When you got to high school, and I don't want to jump too far ahead into the future now, but when it came to news broadcasting, was that something that you thought about as early as high school or was that something that came a little later in life? I mean, I know you went on to do a lot of things before you ultimately ended up at WGRZ, but going all the way back to high school, was news broadcasting something that you had even thought of? You know what? It absolutely was not. Uh, I was a real late convert um, to the profession. And a lot of it, I mean, quite frankly, you know, today, you know, job shadows are like a great thing. And I have kids in high school that will come and want to shadow me here at the station. And I mean, I'm I'm open to it. I welcome it. I encourage it as well as kids who are in college. And that really wasn't so much a thing way back in the day when I was coming up. So, you know, seventies and eighties, and I wish it had been because I think, especially for broadcast news, when you walk into a newsroom, it has a certain vibe. And I see this all the time with college students where they know in very short order, whether this, uh, this lifestyle is for them or not, because right. I think it's very personality driven. I mean, I really love my coworkers and I use, always used to think, well, you know, it's because Channel 2 is a special place. No, it's pretty much because we're all the same animal <laughs> in our newsroom. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, you have some of us who are introverts and some of us who are extroverts. And that's kind of a bizarre sort of an anomaly that people don't necessarily expect. They they think that because we're in broadcasting, we're all extroverts, and that's really not the case. But um, but for the most part, what we all do, we are for the most part wired a lot alike. And that is, you know, what it takes to be a journalist. I mean, you really have to have a passion for public service and you know digging for the truth and reporting it and and having like a dogged determination, you know, to find out you know what's true and what's right going after that and then wanting to share it all and being a really good writer too, obviously. Right. Now, when it comes to college, you stayed local. You went to Niagara University. Why did you decide on Niagara and were there other schools that you considered going to or that you wanted to go to or was it Niagara all the way for you? Yeah, uh, it really was Niagara all the way. And here's the reason I alluded to the fact that I did a lot of arts growing up. Uh, My mother was a big proponent of the arts. and I mean, she made all of us study, you know, some instrument or dance when we were really young, but I was the only one that really gravitated to it and loved doing it. And, uh, I started, um, I think dance lessons when I was in second grade and then started doing theater when I was in fifth grade. And a neighbor of mine was very active in local theater and it had encouraged my mom to take me to audition for local community theater groups. And then at that age, I think I was about 11 years old, I was cast uh, in a Niagara University theater uh, production playing one of the children's roles. It was actually the Wizard of Oz. I was <laughs> cast as a munchkin uh, in the Wizard of Oz in that school's production and uh, absolutely fell in love with the campus. And I remember we did 13 performances uh, of that show 
that year. And so we spent a lot of time on campus, obviously. And sometimes there'd be like matinees and then evening performances. So the theater students would like take us back to their dorm room, you know, to kill time. And we would eat in the dining hall. And uh, I'm also a, a cradle Catholic. So, you know, that part of Niagara's tradition really appealed to me too. But I did, I think I did four shows altogether on campus at Niagara until I, you know, grew too tall to play children's roles anymore. <laughs> but, um, you know, I had an opportunity to visit other campus and did other campus tours when I was looking for um, colleges to attend. But Niagara just always felt like my college home. You know, I really liked that smaller school setting and I really liked uh, the curriculum. You know, at Niagara, you're required um, not only to take, you know, your liberal arts core curriculum, but three religions and three religions and three philosophies. And um, that to me was really fascinating. And believe it or not, those are kind of the courses that I feel like they really enhanced my life in a way that I didn't really expect. Um, Not because I'm super religious necessarily, but it really made me appreciate people and who they are at their core. And uh, yeah, so anyway, Niagara was really my number one choice and, you know, getting in was kind of a slam dunk, but I decided to study political science. I was not a communications major. Hmm. Now, people who only know Mary Alice Deller, the Channel 2 news anchor, might not know this, but you won Miss New York in 1990 and you participated in Mm -hmm. Miss America in 1991. What were those experiences like for you? And I know that competing in pageants helped you erase college student debt. I remember hearing that story from you before. Yeah, that was actually my main motivation because, you know, being a performer growing up, I had uh, done little festival pageants here and there, you know, for fun. Again, if you're sure. if you're a singer, a dancer, an actor, that's kind of something natural to gravitate for. And, mm-hmm. you know, there was no big prize money or anything involved in those. But when I graduated from Niagara, because, I mean, it's, it, it's an expensive school today. It sure. was back then. Um, I had big student loans. And the Miss America organization, most people aren't aware, is the largest not-for-profit scholarship program for women in the entire world. And the winners win scholarship money. They don't win cash or cars or things like that. Uh, So that's that was my incentive really to compete. But at the same time, what I didn't really realize is that it was also giving me an opportunity to do something else, which I really love to endorse, and that's community service. You know, when you take part in a Miss America preliminary, you have to choose a social issue to champion, and that's what you promote during your reign. Uh, They call it year of service now. They don't call it a reign anymore. But um, having, again, having gone to Niagara where service learning was always a big part of um, the curriculum on campus, that was something that for me was kind of a natural fit as well. So, you know, after competing for five years in the Miss America organization, there was never any entry fee, so it never cost me any money to do it. But I would, um, if you win or you end up being a runner-up, you can win thousands of dollars in scholarship money. So I think I won all total about 25000 by the time I won the Miss New York State title and made it to the Miss America stage. Wow. Um, so I erased my debt to Niagara. And so it was well worth it, but I learned so much about myself. I learned how to present. I really polished my speaking skills, my presentation skills. So it ended up being kind of a platform for a career in television news, though 
that was really never part of my career plan. That was what I was, I was going to ask you that next. I had read that you being in pageants, it helped you realize that you could be in broadcasting, that you figured out that you could interview people better than they were interviewing you, correct? Yeah, that that was kind of a, a quote that someone had used. And what I really meant in, not not to sound boastful, but it uh, I became aware when I was Miss New York and traveling around and being interviewed is that, you know, sometimes there were journalists who did their homework and sometimes they didn't, you right. know. And I learned really early on that, you know, if... If you're going to do it, I mean, be prepared, do it well. I would never walk into an interview situation and not be prepared with questions ahead of time and, you know, really know my subject matter and come in. And if you're going to ask someone for their time and do an interview, you know, do your homework, be prepared. And um, so that that was one of the things I had walked away from my experience as Miss New York knowing. And that also motivated me when I decided I wanted to enter broadcasting was to go back to school and study broadcast journalism so that, you know, I would become a journalist and not just think, well, you know, I can ad lib well and I look good on camera. Um, I should be a news reporter. Right. No, I needed to learn how to become a good journalist. And and I, I think that's more the the rule now uh, and not the exception, you know, because the industry has really evolved uh, since, you know, the, you know, 80s and 90s when I first got interested in it. I, I don't think there's a journalist in our newsroom now who, um, you know, a younger journalist who hasn't studied you know, communications, broadcasting, journalism in college. Right. Broadcasting was actually a third career thing for you. You were once you taught French and also worked in hospital administration. You got to tell me about that. Seeing you on TV, doing the news every night, it's hard because you're a natural at it. It's hard to imagine you doing anything else, but obviously you did before you got into this profession. Yeah, absolutely. I was actually a double major at Niagara. I was political science and French, and it wasn't until after I did my study abroad that I decided that my original career plan, which was to work for the U.S. Foreign Service, um, which would require oh, wow. me to live outside of the U.S., wow. uh, I decided after living abroad, yeah, I didn't want to live in a foreign country. <laughs> I mean, I enjoyed the experience. It was very enriching, but I love my country, and I you know, love having an opportunity to do a job that is public service that I think, you know, makes our community better. Um, I wanted to stay in my own country and do something to contribute here. And certainly those who are serving uh, our country in embassies abroad are doing very important and valid work, but it just wasn't for me. I'm, I mean, I'm a homebody, obviously. I've spent right. my whole career in Buffalo by choice. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so as I was a double major. So when I graduated from Niagara, uh, I wanted to use the French language, you know, skills before I forgot them, you know, right. not a lot of opportunities to speak French <laughs> on the streets of Western New York. Right. So yeah, I taught French for three years at a private Catholic school. I taught fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade French, which was incredibly challenging. I mean, I was not, I was not an education major in college and it's, I tutored a lot, but that's not the same thing as right. being in a classroom and being able to reach and inspire and challenge kids at, you know, all different academic abilities. I mean, teaching is an art as well as a science. And, um, you know, again, not being an education major and not being trained for that, it was incredibly frustrating for me. So, 
uh, even though I, I run into and I encounter and stay in touch with a lot of my students from back in the day, and they they swore I was just the best French teacher they ever had. They really <laughs> enjoyed it. Um, I personally, you know, really struggled in that career, but have the utmost respect for the work that teachers do and the challenges that they face. I mean, especially public school teachers uh, with all the social issues they encounter because of the challenges, you know, of the children that they have in their classrooms nowadays. Um, but that's what I did for my first three years out of college. And in the summers, I worked at DeGraff Hospital in North Tonawanda because I had an older sister uh, who worked in administration and I would actually work for her in the summer and then they hired me full time. So I had a little bit of experience as a projects director working in healthcare. So it was kind of a great springboard to work in journalism because understanding and having the insight of how the education system works and how the healthcare system works um, gave me, again, really valuable insight for reporting. Before you got your job at WGRZ, you had worked at WJYE 96.1, first in news and as a co-host. How did the opportunity come about to work at WJYE? And do you miss radio ever? Because it's certainly a lot different than television. Yeah, it absolutely is. I mean, there's similarities, obviously, but I miss radio so much because it was so much fun. I miss theater of the mind where, you know, you and your co-host can be in the studio and whatever you want to create that day is what it is. And uh, I love that creative process where in television, it's like a big orchestra and there's a lot of people contributing. And Scott and I, Scott Levin and I, my co-anchor, you know, we get to be kind of the conductors sitting on the set um, and being the people in front of a phenomenal orchestra, a phenomenal newsroom full of really, really talented people, really bright, really creative Um you know, you have to you have to relinquish a lot of control and you rely on the great work of other people, you know, for everything to come together. Yeah. And um, it's just it's a different dynamic. But radio was so much fun and I really, really enjoyed it. And I had a great co-host working with Joe Chili on the air on WJYE for a little over three years. And all the people at JYE were so supportive because that really was my very first broadcasting job. So I was very, very lucky to uh, jump into that position. I started out originally just writing and delivering the newscasts on the half hour uh, at JYE and then grew into the co-host role with Joe Chili when they did a format change and they were looking for a duo. And, um, you know, so a lot of it right place at the right time. And, you know, I do interview well, so I was able to, <laughs> you know, talk myself into uh a great position, but then worked really hard too, because no one, few people, I should say, are really born being great broadcasters. I mean, there's a certain skill set you have to learn, that you have to develop, that you have to cultivate, that you have to nurture. You know, it, it takes a lot of hard work. And my hat goes off to the young people that go into this career now, because thankfully I didn't have the internet when I was, uh, first entering broadcasting. Now it's pretty brutal with people that, you know, trolls who will, you know, dog some of our younger journalists who, you know, will occasionally, um, you know, have a little gaff, you know, they effort to not make mistakes. I mean, as ever in this industry, you know, you, you, we, we fact check information, um, 
over and over to make sure that, you know, all of our information is accurate and fair and balanced. But, you know, occasionally mistakes are made. But, you know, now people can record things so easily and, you know, tweet them out or Facebook them and make them go viral. And it can be really humiliating for young people. You know, I've been doing it 26 years. So I've I'm television for 26 years, so over 30 years for broadcasting, you do develop a thick skin, you know, and I did not have one when I first began, and I really would die a thousand deaths when people would call the station or write a letter and critique whatever it is I was doing, whether that was in radio or whether that was in TV, Um, but you have to just use it as motivation for you to be better and never make the same mistake twice and, you know, um, just kind of swallow your pride and take a deep breath and, and just do better the next time. What was the process like for you being on TV? Like how long did it take you to get kind of used to being on television with the cameras on you, the people around you work and all that stuff, being being a news person, how long, how was that process for you? Did it take a while to get used to? Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, someone gave me great advice, you know, from the get-go. And I think even though I did a lot of performing growing up, I was used to performing in front of an audience. And that's not what you're doing when you're doing, you know, television broadcasting. You're in a studio with, I don't know what we have, nine, ten cameras, you know, a couple production people and your coworkers, and that's it. You know, there's no audience. So you're not really getting any feedback, which can be a real challenge, you know, especially when you're in a situation where you're ad-libbing and not that we're ever trying to be funny, but there's just no reaction at all because there's no audience. So it's very, very different from live performing. Um, But at the same time, you have to not really even think about the audience, to be perfectly honest, you know, focus on the work. That's what I tell young people all the time, you know, who get nervous being in front of the camera. You know, it's not the same kind of nervousness now, again, that it was back in the day, because this generation of young people now grew up with, you know, cameras in their home, video cameras, you know, cameras on their parents' phones. So they're used to seeing themselves on camera in a way that we weren't when I first started. So there's more of a comfort level. I think we see a more polished performer coming out of college today than we did 30 years ago. Um, But, you know, it is an evolution. You know, any broadcast journalist has to make part of their regular routine, watching and listening to their own work on a regular basis and self-critiquing or going to, you know, your favorite or most respected coworkers and asking for a critique. And I did that. I did that all the time uh, when I started out and, and I was fortunate that, you know, I worked with some great journalists here at Channel 2 who were very helpful, who would watch my work and, you know, were very kind in their critique and, and telling me how I could make it better. And honestly, we have great photojournalists here at Channel 2. And and doing as a reporter, doing a reporter package is, you know, it's a daily marriage <laughs> that you yeah, have yeah. with whoever the video journalist is that you're paired with because, you know, there has to be a synergy there and there's certainly a... Uh, a close relationship when you're writing to video, writing a good television news story, you have to write to the video. And I had a lot of great photojournalists that gave me great tips, great advice, and great encouragement. Now, at the very beginning there in the intro, I called you an award-winning news anchor. That's because in 2010, you won a New York Emmy for Best News Anchor. What did winning mm-hmm. that mean to you? And by the way, you were the first Buffalo area news anchor to receive the best news anchor award. So mad props to you for that. But what did that mean to you? 
Thank you, thank you. And still, I'm the only Buffalo News anchor who's That's won awesome. that award. It's I, I feel thank you. Though. It's really uh, competitive because uh, uh, the Emmy Awards are awarded um, by region, but the New York region, arguably the most competitive in the country, because we compete against all the New York City stations, the right. number one market in the country. Yeah. So it's difficult, you know, to be from Buffalo, even though we have a great television market and there is great anchoring and reporting work being done at here and Channel 4 and Channel 7 as well. But to snag any New York Emmy is always a huge coup. And I work in a room full of journalists who have more than I do. I mean, I've, our team has won a number of Emmys and I've honestly lost count of how many we've won for newscasts and special reports and special reporting. Um, but the, the two that I've won individually were two of the most competitive. So I'm, I'm proud of that. You know, it's very validating, but we have an axiom. Thank you. But we have an axiom in our business. You are only as good as your last newscast. So if I sucked (laughs) in the 11 (laughs) o'clock newscast today, guess what? I suck (laughs) until 11 when I get to redeem myself. So you can't really get hung up on it. You know, but um, awards are great. But at the end of the day, viewers want consistently, you know, they want good work on a daily basis. They want your work to be fair. They want your work to be accurate. You know, they want to tune in and they want a reliable uh, news reporting every single day of the week, every time that they tune in. Um, We don't have as many viewers tuning in seven days a week like we used to back in the day. We would love if love it if it went back to that. But, you know, because of the technology and people can get information on their phone in a snap, uh, you know, the world is evolving and we're evolving what we do right along with it. I don't want to deep dive into something that that's a very sad and personal part of your life. We're not going to deep dive into that stuff, but I, I have, I'll be remiss if I don't at least bring it up earlier this year, your companion passed away unexpectedly. Naturally, you were absent from TV for a few weeks that followed because of that. You returned in late February and gave an incredibly heartfelt on-air tribute to someone who seems like a really good man. Again, the only question I have, and then I want to quickly move on, is how were you able to get through going on camera and doing that? I I can't imagine how difficult that must have been for you. Yeah, it it was without a doubt. I mean, the most difficult, um, you know, report, I guess you could say, I've ever had to do in my career. And for anyone who's ever lost someone close to them, it's, it's, a terrible thing to go through. Um, and then to have to go on TV and talk about it, um, is, yeah, it's, it's terrible. And and when you're a journalist, you don't, I think most people who do this job don't get into it to promote themselves. I mean, you're doing it to provide a public service and I always effort to, um, you know, keep my private life very separate from the work that I do at the station. And so that was that was a time where I absolutely had to let audience the audience know, uh, let viewers know what was going on because it was during our February ratings book too, yeah. when, you know, we're not even allowed to take personal days, you know, from our normal work schedule. Right. But at the same time too, um, Joseph Murphy also had a very loving family and two adorable grieving children, um, who also, you know, were missing him terribly. So that tribute was as much for them um, as it was, you know, letting our audience know too about the importance of, um, you know, really safeguarding 
your health. Um, you know, Joe uh, was someone who was an athlete, and unfortunately, um, you know, he was unaware, you know, that he had really right. a, a critical condition. And, you know, we do an awful lot of health reporting, and it's really important for people to, you know, see their primary on, primary on the regular and, you know, to really ask good questions. But every once in a while, you know, we hear stories of people who pass unexpectedly because they had a condition that really had no symptoms. And that was Joe's case. So um, thank you for asking and expressing those condolences. And um, again, it was a wonderful outpouring from the Western New York community that I experienced. And I know that it was very helpful and cathartic for his family also to uh, receive that support. So well, I, uh, I whenever any chance I get, I always want to thank everybody who reached out and offered their support. It really meant the world to me and really helped me get through that time. Well, I think you did the tribute beautifully. I was very moved to see it. And something that you said, maybe that tribute, somebody who watched it, who might be suffering from some kind of health problem, maybe they have a sign and a symptom and they went to the doctor sooner because they saw something like that. You know what I mean? Instead of uh, right. not doing anything about it. So. Yeah, absolutely, Patrick. Thank you. I tell people that all the time as my regular mantra. I'm like, you know what? Let your primary be the one to tell you it's no big deal. You know, don't yeah. don't tell yourself that. Uh, let that health pr- professional or the ER physician, you know, it just takes a couple hours of your time and it couldn't be life altering. Yeah, absolutely. Let's quickly transition into some happier stuff. Through the years, what's come to be your favorite part of the job? Like, what do you enjoy more than anything else. I'm sure there's multiple things that you enjoy about your job, but if you had to pick one, what's your favorite part about being a news anchor? You know, honestly, uh, it's probably just because of the way that I'm wired, but uh, I, I just love that it's new every day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I love coming in and, uh, and you know, it's, I don't even know if I can say that that's the favorite thing. You know, I I think I I just love knowing what's going on in my community because I'm so invested, because my family's lived here for generations, um, and because I work in an industry where we're focused on helping things get better, you know, so throwing light on issues, on situations, on problems, but also we make a point of really celebrating all the good stuff going on in Western New York as well and making sure we have that balance in the newscast because you easily could devote 30 plus minutes or 90 minutes a day um, to beating the community up on all the things that need improvement. And that goes for any community in the country. Uh, But I like the fact that we celebrate all the good stuff. And in the time, you know, in the close to 20 years that I've been in the anchor chair, it's been so great to see Buffalo's resurgence, you know, because back in the day we would kind of groan if there was uh, some artist rendering of some new project, because it used to be this kiss of death. We'd see a rendering and, the project would never come to fruition. Yeah. And now it's almost, it's an automatic assumption that once we see the rendering, oh, it's going to happen. And that's a great thing to see that, you know, certainly the state um, investing a billion dollars in Buffalo made a difference, but more than anything, it was really the private sector and a lot of great not-for-profits that immediately, you know, were galvanized and jumped on their own bandwagon and uh, put forth effort to, you know, 
play a role in our city's revitalization, uh, in our region's revitalization. So you can't really say it was any one individual or any one act because it ha- it has happened very quickly because it's been from all corners of Western New York that, you know, people have stepped up and and, you know, have and are going to continue to keep this momentum going of this renaissance. What do you do to stay fit and in great shape? I mean, you look just as good on here now as you did goddamn 20 years ago. <laughs> oh, that's so nice. Well, you know, I have a lot of uh, Twitter and Facebook followers who like to remind me when I'm not really looking very good or having a great oh, hair day. So, <laughs> you know, that kind of, uh, that will keep you honest, let me tell you. And in the gym, when you have people all the time who, you know, will tell you how distracted they are because you don't look good. Uh, I'm half joking, but it really is true. I mean, that's kind of, I, I love social media because it's so helpful, yeah. but, you know, sometimes I hate Trolls. it too because yeah. it's so unfiltered and people will say whatever. And to be honest, I mean, I I don't get people really saying nasty things to me, you know, but sometimes just the truth hurts. It's like, yeah, I really need to get on that. Um, But again, when you're reporting on health issues all the time too, that tends to inspire you. But I, I do have a trainer that I work out with, but I also love cycling. I got into that several years ago. And then I just recently took up golf, like just this past summer. And I absolutely love it. I'm surprised that I like it as much as I did because I was married to a guy for 16 and a half years who was, you know, a golf addict. I guess I could call him that, you know, and he begged me to play and I, you know, he got me clubs and I played one round and I'm like, (laughs) this is not for me at all. So I played with him for the first time two weeks ago, like, Oh, you know, full 18 holes. And he's like, seriously, like now, you know, we've been divorced six years. Now you're going to play this game. (laughs) But we had a really great time. And uh, I know a lot about the game because I used to watch so much, so much golf with him and heard so much about his golf game. Um, but it's great for meditation. That's what I love about golf because of the focus. And when you're out there, you really do have to, like they say, you got to be the ball. Um, Caddyshack, now my favorite movie. I'm kidding. (laughs) Last question. So it's a great sport. Yeah. Last last question here. Then we'll wrap up with the mini lightning round. Lots of young girls, lots of young women out there surely look up to you. Maybe they want to get into broadcast journalism someday. For them out there, what what's the best advice that you can give them? Hmm. Uh, I think you know what uh, to just always be a great consumer of news. You know, there's thankfully now there are so many resources for young people um, to tap into. You know, through Twitter and you know Facebook, of course. I you know it, it's more a social uh, form than Twitter is. I think Twitter is just a great resource because it's so easy to use. I mean, news gathering has never been easier in a way. And so I just encourage them, you know, to learn how to seek out valid, you know, news organizations and just, uh, Soak up information. Just read, 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 read. And I also feel that it's important for them to understand that if broadcast news is something that they're interested in, they have to decide really early on that they really do have a heart for community service and let that drive them because, especially starting out, you work so many really unglamorous hours. And, um, you know, the job looks one way on television, but it really is something else behind the scene it is a grind and to do a job shadow 
sooner rather than later to find out exactly what the life is because it does look different, you know, when you're actually making the sausage versus what you see on the plate at, you know, daybreak four, five, six, ten, and eleven. Okay, good advice there. Let's wrap mini lightning round. I'm just gonna ask you some random questions, not a lot of deep thought required, kind of rapid fire style. Whatever the first thing that pops in your mind, that'll be your answer. You good with that? This could be this could be dangerous because there could uh-huh. be a psychologist listening who says, you know what, I don't know that she should be on the air. This could be a dangerous person. Nah, I'm, I'm, kidding. A, I'm gonna Go keep ahead. I'm gonna keep I'm it game. light for you. All right, let's go. Favorite all time athlete. Oh, this is a hard one. Uh, a favorite all time athlete. Oh gosh. Um, I guess I'd have to say, uh, Jim Kelly because of his grit, Okay, you know, uh, on the field and then obviously off the field with his cancer battle. Sure. Favorite city that you have visited. Um, that would be Rome, Italy. Really? That's beautiful. I'd yeah. love to go there. Yeah. Who is your mm-hmm. first celebrity crush? Like who's the first celebrity that you can remember being in love with? <laughs> Okay, that uh, the first and only fan letter I've ever written, third grade, was Donny Osmond. You probably don't even know who he is. Oh, I but... know him. <laughs> My sister was in love yeah, with him, too. okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no question about it. Okay, that's a good one. What Do you have a go-to snack? A go-to snack, yeah. I'm a, I'm a popcorn fiend. Love all kinds of popcorn. Okay, what movie have you probably rewatched more than any other? Uh... You know what? Quite honestly, I love the movie Shawshank Redemption. And, you know, it used to be played ad nauseum on TBS. And, and, you know, if it's on, I don't even care at what state uh, or at what point in the movie it's in. I will watch till the end. Just love the story. That's my wife's favorite movie ever, too. Yeah. Great story of redemption. Name a TV game show that you feel like if you were on it, you could potentially dominate, whether it's a current game show or one from the past. Oh, um, you know what? Uh, I don't, uh, you know what? I think it would probably be like uh, the thousand dollar pyramid. I don't know if it's a thousand or million or whatever they do now, but <laughs> I think I would, I think I would crush it. I'm good at, you know, giving clues. Okay. Instead of doing this podcast, if me and you right now, we're having a conversation at a karaoke bar and in this world, you're an amazing singer. You're the best singer in the bar. You get up on stage, you're going to grab the mic. What song are you thinking that you're going to sing that's going to get the crowd on their feet singing along you? Whether it's a rock out song, a slow song, whatever it may be, in your own mind at least, what's your signature karaoke song? Yeah, okay. I would I would not try and rock out anything. That wouldn't be it. Um, I'm like, I love Motown, so I would probably go with um, Smokey Robinson's Cruisin'. But I, I like the uh, I like the Huey Lewis Gwyneth Paltrow version. So yeah. I'd probably talk one of my friends into doing a duet. <laughs> right, that's awesome. Because I'm a little bit shy, you know. I don't. I would probably not even do karaoke. But anyway, normally I ask people if they hadn't gotten involved in this industry and it, or it didn't work out. What do you think you would have done? Well, you have done other things. You've been a French teacher. You worked in the hospital. You've yeah. worked on the radio. Mm-hmm. So I can't even ask you that. So let me skip that one. What, who's your favorite Twitter follow, whether it's a person or a handle? Like if you were only following one person on Twitter, who's that one person or that one handle that you couldn't do without? Yeah, you know, I really look forward every day to uh, reading what uh, 
the composer of Hamilton and the star of the Broadway show Hamilton, Lin-Manuel Miranda. Okay. I love following him on Twitter. He really is. Uh, he's really inspired, inspirational. Um, yeah, it, he's a good follow. Check him out. Okay, last question here, the traditional one here. Three dinner guests, any era, dead or alive, famous celebrities, whoever. Three people could be at your dinner table tonight, having some food, maybe a drink or two, some conversation. Who's going to be at that table? Who you got? Oh, my gosh. Okay, this is really going to be hard. Okay, I think, uh, well, uh, one of them is definitely going to be... um, uh, Pope Francis. Uh, I'm a cradle Catholic, as I mentioned, okay. and you know, Rome is burning. So I think I would definitely include. I would want him there first and foremost. So that's that's going to make it interesting. Uh, the second person that I would want to be there would probably be. I would say. Um, Hmm. Oh my gosh, this is so hard. I think George Washington. I would like to have the father of our country be one of our dinner guests because I would just love to hear all that he had to say about um, being the first president of the United States. Mm-hmm. You know, I think my questions could just be endless. And then the third would probably be. <laughs> I think it would be Marian Anderson, and you'd have to Google her to find out that she was really um, the first African-American opera star. And I can remember being so impressed by her and and doing a biography on her way back when I was in elementary school because I was studying voice. And I also just thought, again, as a trailblazer, not just as a woman, obviously, but an African-American woman and having just such a tremendous gift long before, you know, they were divas. That would be my third person. Got to educate myself now. George Washington, Pope Francis. That's perfect. Awesome stuff. All right, everyone out there listening, give Mary Alice a follow on Twitter at WGRZ. Mary Alice, of course, check out WGRZ.com. See her on air on channel two. Thanks for doing this. I know you're busy and I really appreciate the time. You were awesome. Oh, thank you, Patrick. It's been great talking to you. Thank you so much. And uh, hey, we'll see you at 6 and 11. Hi, I'm Matt Kundal, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the podcast about broadcast. Every week since 2016, we've been bringing on broadcast leaders to talk about their experiences in radio, what they've seen, and where they believe it is all going. If you live and love radio, subscribe to the Sound Off Podcast with Matt Kundal wherever you get your podcasts. All right, it's the Running with Joe. I'll tell you what, I just got done chatting with the lovely, beautiful, talented Mary Alice Demler, and now I got Joe. What a calm down. I'm I'm good looking too, bro. <laughs> really? I'm good. I'm a good. I'm, a, I'm. You've seen my Facebook photos. I'm awesome. You've had more Facebook photos in the last like maybe two weeks, I think, that I've seen you in the last three years. Oh gosh, yeah. I mean, I was when I was in Buffalo, there was definitely some drinking and going to Bills games. I just I just went to one Bills game, and once I start drinking, I have I have no shame in taking photos. When I'm sober and regularly, I try to avoid photos like the plague. So. 
you got me on a you got me on a good couple of weeks with uh, seeing my my beautiful frame. Now I know you were back in New York for the New England game, but what was the home opener? Cincinnati. You, you tailgated that game at New Era, didn't you? Oh my God! Yes. Yeah. Did, I, did you uh, get a, Did you get an opportunity to meet anyone on Twitter that you hadn't already known before? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Uh, so I'll tell you the story. So I. I when I got to Buffalo, I got to Buffalo early August or not early August, excuse me. I got to Buffalo late August. My plan was to work, to stay there for like two weeks. And then I ended up getting a job and my job, I can work remotely. Mm-hmm. So I was like, Oh, Hey, I'll, I'll, I'll extend my stay in Buffalo. What the hell? I can care less. You know, I can live off my mom's couch. So I ended up, the opener was coming. I was like, okay, I got to go to this game. They're two and zero at the time. And I was like on Twitter, like, Hey, who's got tickets? And someone had, DM me and said, Hey, you know, I could sell you one ticket because this one person couldn't make it and it was for face value. And I was like, Sure. And uh, I forgot the guy's name. It's Tom Fenn. You may follow him. I don't know if you do, uh, but he's he's on Twitter and uh, he was like, Yeah, you know, I'll sell you my t- the sexual ticket. I'm like, Great. And, then, and he's like, We were trying to like commiserate how we're going to get there you know, get, you know, for me to get the tickets, like, mm-hmm. am I going to go meet him at the tailgate? And he was like, and he's like, well, I live in and in, in T, which isn't too far from Pendleton. And he was like, you know, we were like, well, I'll come get you. I'm like, all right, yeah, why not? I don't have a ride there as of now. And I said, like, what time are you going there? He's like, oh, I'm going to get there at 5 a.m. And I was like, whoa, I was like, <laughs> and I've never, I've never done a super early tailgate before. Yeah, that's early. And this is, yeah, this was like, I wanted, I've always wanted to, like, F it. Let me get there early. And I've gotten there like at nine o'clock, which I guess is considered early, but like I've never got there like that early. So we got there. We parked in Pinto Kenny's lots or whatever, or the hammer lots. Mm-hmm. But you know where Pinto Kenny is. Yeah. We parked there. We were like the first car there. I met Michael Thomas. I don't know if you know him on yeah, Twitter. I know him. Yeah. Yeah. I met him. I met Ashley. Oh, gosh. I forgot her last name. She's. She's like the fitness, like Ashley she does a lot Petty. of fitness stuff. Yeah, Thank Petty. you. Yes. Yep. Yeah. She was on the train wreck sports thing. I met her. Um, who else did I met? I met here. Here's a good funny story. I met the, I'm not going to name who this person was, but I was actually talking to Michael Thomas and we're just ch- chit chatting and there's a girl comes up to him and he's like, Hey, what's going on? Like he knew her and he introduced me and, sh- and he go and she goes and he goes, do you know, Jill from Buffalo wins? And she, this girl had this snarl on her face, like, <laughs> yeah, I know him. And I'm like, and I look at her and I, and I recognize the person's photo and I'm like, you're blank, blank. You have me blocked. And and she's like, well, you have me blocked too. And I was like, yeah, well, you blocked me first. He's like, no. And she's like, no, I didn't. Blah, blah, blah. And then I was like, whatever, look, I'll unblock you now. And, you know, we'll just like bygones be bygones. And we both unblocked each other. We're not following each other though. <laughs> and that's fine. No follows, but like but that was blocked. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Well, that's my policy. If you block me first, I will block you afterwards. I usually just mute people. Like that's the, how I, how I roll. But if I, if I catch you blocking me, which I did this person, you're blocked. And it was a person I had blocked for, for like five years, yeah. a long, like a long time because she, she had blocked me and she tried to say that she didn't block me, but whatever. Uh, so <laughs> th- that was one person I met. Did I meet anyone else? Uh, I met Maddie Wren, who is kind of uh, a lightning rod on Twitter. I know you tweet to him sometimes. Yeah, but that's I, the state of least. Yep, I know you're talking. Yeah, about. yeah, he's kind of he's kind of crazy, and but uh, I like crazy sometimes. Sure. And I met him. 
I've seen him. I met him before, but like I saw him at the game. He he hooked me up with beers because when I was walking down Abbott Road and they're a little bit more stricter with drinking, the, the cops made me. I had two cans of beer with me and the cops were like, yeah, you got to empty those while yeah. walking. And I was like, oh, fine. Like I was cool about it. And then I saw him and he gave me like three beers. I was like, yes, you're my <laughs> man right here. So he can he can trash Josh Allen as much as he wants because uh, he, he hooked me up with beer. We're, we might do a little Josh Allen trashing as well. I want to talk Bills for a few minutes here, get this going. But I want to, first of all, I want to tread water just a little bit lightly here, okay? I don't want this to come off as patting Joe Hayden on the Buffalo Bills. Not the case whatsoever, okay? This is a 3-1 and team right now. And at least three of those first four games, I thought the offense was at least adequate, okay? And when you got a defense as good as Buffalo's, all you got to do is be adequate. So before we talk about anything bad and get any like negative vibes going, I kind of want to point out, some good things, man. Like Dawson Knox. I think he's looked very promising. He's already got yes. eight catches, 144 yards and a touchdown. Very good production for him early on. Beasley and Brown are both on pace right now to both have 90 receptions this year. And Frank Gore, he's been amazing. Got 273 yards, two touchdowns, four games. I mean, obviously, that puts him on a pace to go over 1,000 yards at 36 years old. I don't expect to maintain that, especially when Singletary comes back and he's going to become a bigger part of this offense. But still, you know, Frank Gore's been amazing. So before we drop any hammers, man, you got to admit, three and one after a month is something that I think any Buffalo Bills fan would have signed up for before this season starts. Did losing to New England suck? Sure, it sucked. And we're going to talk about some of that in just a minute. But three and one and the offense minus the New England game, they haven't looked terrible. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, there's some individual effort on the offense that's good. Like you just mentioned, all of them, like Dawson Knox is, you know, I wasn't expecting much from him. I mean, Me you know, like a, a third round rookie, like, all right, whatever. Maybe he'll be good in like a year or two. But he's been he's been legit. He makes plays. And like everyone who talked about him afterwards was like, hey, this is a guy, you know, when he was drafted that didn't get the ball enough because they had too many guys at his college. And it, it's kind of showing right now. Beasley and Brown have been pretty good. Beasley's been a little bit inconsistent at times. Like he sometimes gets, I don't yeah. know, he, he's had a few drops here. That, and there, Jets, but he's game, fine. that Jets game, he had a bad drop. Let it win interception. Yeah, but like, yeah, he's been good. Overall. Yeah, like he's, he, like he's, he's, they're both solid. The Bills offense overall, it's, it's kind of weird. Like I was looking this up today and they're like, they're in the top five for first downs, but they're 23rd and 21st in touchdowns and points respectively, which is, mm-hmm. which is kind of weird. Like it, it, it kind of shows you that they're kind of matriculating the ball down the field, but they're not getting big plays. And I think that's, I think that's what has lacked in the offense this year. Like there's no, yeah. I don't know what the longest play is from scrimmage. I, I feel like it hasn't, it hasn't been anything more than 50 yards. I don't think, you know, there hasn't been that Josh Allen bomb that we saw last year. I think so Knox, it, I think that pass to Knox for that went for 55. Might right. be the biggest play this year. And that was pretty much by the way, all Knox. I mean, it was a 10 yard pass. Yeah. Then your boy just started running everyone over. I agree with that. It's kind of a, you know, on defense is a bend but don't break philosophy. A lot of teams have the offense is like bend and and break yeah. at the break at the end. So yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just it's just been a, it's been a weird offense. Like there's good stats about the offense, but at this at the end of the day, it's all about scoring. And you know, they got you know they played four games. Three of the games they've scored two touchdowns or fewer, which that doesn't yeah. that doesn't sound good. No. You know, it doesn't. You know, it's built. It's kind of below average. So. But three and yeah. one again, three and one a month yes. into the season. I'm sure you would have signed up for that. I know I would have. No, definitely. It's it's a it's it's a solid three and one start. There's some some issues, but like to me, the defense has just been like a revelation. They have been awesome this year. It may be 
if they keep this up, we get to talk about them being like the best defense they've had since I've been watching the Bills since like ninety. Yeah, you know they've been they've been great, and they they've shut down they shut down Brady, which is hard to do in this. You know, even though Brady's five hundred years old, but you know they shut him down. They've done they've done what they've kept them in games. If Absolutely. it was, I, I was I was thinking about this today. Like, can you imagine if this was the defense from like Rex Ryan's years when you have all those turnovers? You mm-hmm. know, and the they've held them. They though if they had had those turnovers, no way that defense like the Rex Ryan defense or the Dave Wanstead defense or even even McDermott's defense from two years ago would have held those opponents in check like they done yeah. with those turnovers. You know, my favorite part about the defense was against New England. I'm talking about they didn't sack Brady once and they got to they got some pressure on them, but mm-hmm. it wasn't consistent pressure. They still shut down New England's offense and Tom Brady because they were covering everybody. Those corners and yeah. safeties and linebackers, the coverage was absolutely incredible. So it's not just like, well, we better get after the quarterback. Don't get me wrong. They want to get after the quarterback and get sacks. But even when they don't, they showed against the Patriots that they could cover teams good enough to still be effective on defense, even if they're not getting to the quarterback. That's what impressed me most about the defense on Sunday. But I'll tell you what, man, I, I want to talk about three guys specifically on offense that are really struggling right now. The first one, and we'll go to him first because we don't got too much to say about him, but that's Cody Ford. Um, he he's I know he played right tackle in college, and I think that's why the Bills drafted him to be a right tackle. I think that's what they want him to be. I just don't think he is one, man. He's way, way too slow. And if there's anyone... I know there's like all these all 22 film experts out there, but I really trust Joe Biscali. Okay. He graded him a D against the Patriots and he was on the field for 48 of 83 snaps. Maybe that's part of the problem. He's switching every other series within Seki and he can't get in any flow. I don't know if that's an issue or not, but in Joe's ratings right now for the season, Cody Ford's tied for dead last with Saran Neal. Um, of anyone who's had 60 snaps this season. So there's like 36 players on the bills that have done that. And he's, dead last man he's just he's not playing well and I get it Feliciano's playing guard he is playing well Spain's been pretty solid from what I've seen at least I'm not an expert on the line or anything but he's looked pretty good at guards he got two guards I I, the feeling for me is play the kid at guard or let him wait until he gets an opportunity to play him at guard I don't like him at tackle at all I don't know if you have thoughts on that or not well you know, with he was a tackle in co- he was a guard at first in college. I think he uh, I looked this up a f- like about a few weeks ago. He started like seven games at Oklahoma at, at guard between his sophomore and junior year. Got mm-hmm. hurt one of those years, and then they moved him to tackle his senior year, and he played like the whole season, fourteen games. That's when he came on strong, and obviously, I, I would think that you know I wasn't following his career closely, but you have to think that senior year. 14 starts versus seven the previous two years. That's probably what got him drafted where he was. So, like, he's made his bones at Warrior Tackle. And I, I kind of in the position of, look, more is lost by indecision than by wrong decision. You either make him a tackle or you make him a guard. I agree. Okay. And I'm not, and I don't like this swapping in and out thing. I think that's kind of Me weird either. and lame. Just pick You're a right. spot for him. You're right. Um, Tackle wise, he seems to have issues with with speed rushers on the outside. Yep. I'm of the mindset of, you know, I don't know. I, I don't want to play with it too much, but it's like, look, it's he's he's four games into his career. And I also think Josh Allen maybe plays a little bit of a part in that because he has tendencies to hold on to the ball a lot longer. And then, you know, he gets a sack, you know, he gets sacked. And I thought I think that kind of looks bad 
on the line itself, like not on four, but like the line itself, you know, where, you know, Allen can be a little bit, just hold on to the ball too much. So I think that plays into it a little bit. Uh, I don't know what, if he's better at guard or tackle, I, I have no idea. He's four games into his career. I'm of always the mindset if, if all things considered, I would rather have a really good tackle than a guard. Me too. You know, I'm that, I'm that old school, like, yeah, you know, the left tackle is the most important position on the line. I know some people will say it's guard, you know, this day and age, but I'm, I'm kind of old school in that regards, but either way, I, I look, you got to pick one spot with him and you know, I, I, it's tough because I got inside, they got tied, they got tied, I got him. And it's like they're trying to figure out, you know, who should play guard, who should play tackle. So with with that duo, I guess, you know, with putting putting them out, I don't know. They, they probably could have done a better job in the preseason with figuring out what would they could do it for. Because even in the preseason and training camp, he was jumping, you know, from tackle to guard, tackle to guard every week. It seems I, I like. feel like what they're trying to do is get the best five linemen out there. The problem is, is right sure. now, I don't think Cody Ford is one of the best five linemen. That's the problem. And, you know, you want to get him out there right away, but both the guards, Feliciano, he's playing good right now. Who knows how long that'll last. Spain is only here in a one-year deal. I'm okay with bringing Ford along slowly. I just don't like him at tackle. I like Inseki a lot better at tackle. And I think Adrian Waddle getting hurt kind of messed up their plans a little bit because he was going to be that backup swing tackle. And I think they're worried about the depth too because if Naseki goes down and Ford's playing exclusively every day at practice at guard, then they got nothing at tackle after him. So that might be the problem. Mm-hmm. There's another always, guy. Go ahead. Yeah, real quick. Uh, one point to, to make. Again, it's early in his career, but always remember Deion Dawkins' rookie year. He did not start off good, and then but he finished strong. Yeah. So kind of remember that. Like, look, you, you can't, you know, maybe it's arbitrary for me to say that, but look, a guy struggles at first, he can pick it up as a rookie as we go. Sure. Zay Jones. Okay, a lot of people, I know this is a bigger lightning rod than Cody Ford. You and Aaron Quinn, my guy from Cover One, is kind of funny. It was a little playful, we'll call it playful, media, media, or podcast on podcast crime. You guys are kind of going at it. Not fighting, I'm just saying, you guys were bannering a little bit. All right, I'm playing it up for the cameras. Okay, yeah, come on, be real, dude. We were just talking back and forth. Anyway, go ahead. I don't agree. I love Aaron. I don't agree with him at all. Aaron put out, it's Aaron Quinn 716 on Twitter if you want to go check it out. He had a nice thread about Zay Jones, why he doesn't deserve to get blasted based on that New England game. Had some fair points, had some gifts out there, some videos of him. I don't care about that stuff. It's kind of like how I am with hockey. And I know this is old school and pisses a lot of people off. I know guys, you know, the Corsi and all this other, these fancy analytical numbers. I don't give a shit, man. None of that stuff. I care about the eye test. I'm watching this guy. He looks like he's not running as hard as he can be. He definitely, at least on one of those interceptions, did not make any real effort to break it up. Maybe it's not all his fault. In fact, I know it's not all his fault. He's just one of those guys. It's like that kid in high school who always gets in trouble. He's not necessarily a bad kid. Just trouble seems to find him everywhere. It seems like every time the ball goes towards Zay Jones, there's a negative result. Whether it's his fault or whether it's not, the guy's not productive. I know he was one of the first picks of the Sean McDermott era. This guy's just not getting it done, man. He's not a legitimate third receiver right now. I'm just, I don't like him and I'm done with him. And again, that might be an overreaction. And Aaron was trying to, you know, calm people like myself down who are reacting like that. I just don't buy it. I think the guy's done in Buffalo. I think maybe he needs a fresh start. If I'm Sean McDermott, I don't know what it is. 
a trade, a promotion, giving another guy a, a crack at it. But I'm about done with Zay Jones right now. Well, first off, you swore just now. So I'd just like you to know that. So I'm going to have slipped. to give you the speech. I'm going to have to give you the speech about not swearing before. I told Joe anyway. before we started tape, but I said, Joe, no swearing. We had Mary yeah. Alice Demler on. I do not want to cuss Phil podcast. And mm-hmm. then I swore, so my bad. You said the you said the S word in case you forgot, oh, and well, I had not, not sworn. Right. We need to put a swear jar, or swear jar, like <laughs> next to you. No, and like F-bombs. we should put a nickel. S- we should S's put a, are okay. Oh, now you're changing the rules. I was going to say put a swear jar next to you, and then we could put all that money together, and you could buy me wings in Buffalo one day. <laughs> um, look, Zay Jones has been a lightning rod since he came into the league. He's not. It's just it just hasn't worked since day one. And, you know, Aaron can throw out a bunch of gifts all he wants, but the proof is in the, the statistical statistical pudding or whatever. I messed that up, but who cares? But, like, his stats aren't very good, Zay Jones. Seven he catches. has a lot of drops. Seven catches in four yeah, games. Seven. Yeah, I, I, I mean, look, I know he's, he's he can be a, a good down-the-field blocker for running plays and all that sort of jazz, but he, just, he hasn't put up good numbers. He has a lot of drops. I looked this up the other day, and since he came into the league, of wide receivers, tight ends who have been targeted at least a hundred times, he has the worst catch percentage of all of those guys. Yeesh, all of them. Yeesh. You know, that's that's not good. I mean, and, and look, some of it's on the quarterback. You know, he had Peterman for God's sakes for a few games. Tyrod and him did not have good chemistry. And him and him and Josh Allen don't as well. Now, I don't think it's the end. Of, I don't want to go as far as you. Like you seem to completely done with him. I'm not there yet. I because look, he had an okay year last year. He had seven touchdowns, you know, on an offense that was terrible. He had some decent games. It's harder this year for him because they got more wide receivers now than they had last year. And when you're like, you know, it's like the Robert Foster syndrome. Like Robert Foster had a good year last year because he was the number quote unquote two wide receiver. And now he's like the fourth, fifth guy and he's hardly on the field now. And I think Zay is kind of in that predicament where where Beasley and Brown are better than him and they're more, you know, their targets are going to get the ball more. Uh, but, but overall, look, he hasn't, he hasn't done his job, you know, and I know those, there's the effort that, you know, people are making a big deal about the effort he showed on those, you know, interceptions. Like he should have batted it down, even though I kind of feel like, you know, Josh Allen should have thrown those balls and, you know, in general. So it's like, what was he supposed to do with two other guys there? Uh, but like, he just, the stats aren't there right now. And maybe it's the, it's, you know, it why is the chemistry with him and Allen. Why do bad things happen to Josh Allen when he throws the ball to Zay Jones and not Cole Beasley, not John Brown? It always seems when it's a pass intended for Zay Jones, they're the worst throws or they're dropped or whatever it may be. They're at his ankle. I don't know what it is. Is Maybe he's not getting the routes quick enough. I don't know. There just seems to or maybe be they're... something <laughs> wrong with this guy. The chemistry, you said the word chemistry. Zero chemistry with Josh Allen and Zay Jones. Zero. Yeah. I mean, it's it's... They had it last year, man. I mean, they were an okay. They were an okay duo when they played together. Like again, he had. I think all of them were se- the seven touchdowns wore to him from Allen to him. I don't think I don't remember Derek Anderson yeah. throwing anything yeah. or Peterman. But I'm just I don't know. It's just I think it's tougher this year. I, I think you know. But I look. Don't get me wrong. I don't think he's very good right now. But he he's always been kind of a very like cold, cold, and then he gets he gets hot at some certain points in his two years here. Where he'll have a couple of good games. And then he's just like crap for like four weeks. But I don't think – look, he's not James Hardy bad, you know, or anything like that. Like, no, you know – I agree. He's, but he's – or Cyrus Quanjo bad. But he's not – he's not good right now. And, you know, I, I think he's he's not good. That's it. Like, I'd like but to, like, I, I, I'd like to so, see someone else get a shot. I know Robert Foster did not play last week. He's, 
with the groin. I'd like to see him start getting more snaps. Give McKenzie more snaps. Let's see what Andre Roberts could do in that role. I'll tell you one thing that does bother me is everyone clamoring for Duke Williams. It's the same thing in Buffalo every year. And you know this, man. Fans worship practice squad wide receivers. The Rick Rogers, Brandon Riley. Now it's Duke Williams. My attitude is this. I'm not trying to diss Duke Williams. Who knows? Does he deserve a shot? Maybe he does. But you know what? There's 31 other teams in the league now for a month. All they had to do is pick him up off their practice squad. And the Bills either got to keep put him to the 53 or let him go. No one's even tried to sign this guy yet. So there's 31 other teams, too, that are saying Duke Williams is not an NFL active roster player right now. Well, it's interesting that you you would, you would don't want him, but you're cool with McKenzie, though. I'm not I saying mean, McKenzie... I don't want him. I'm not saying I don't want him. I'm talking about fans who are craving this guy. Like, he's going right, to be well... the solution to all the problems. He's going to be that perfect sure. third wide receiver. I'm like, well, 31 other teams... Besides the Buffalo Bills, don't want this guy in their active roster right now either. That's my point. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, I don't. If he comes, I mean, I think, I think fans, yes, it's it, it's a different, it's a bit of a different thing with Duke because he had such a really good collegiate career and he just had issues and that's why he didn't get in the NFL. Right. But you're right, people. Then that's a, that's the difference between like him and like you know Brandon Riley or whatever the hell that guy was who was here before. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's I think a little bit of a difference, but. I don't know. I think I think you just they have to. There is something up with Zay, like I said, like him and like the chemistry is not there. I don't know if I want to see other guys because I just don't have com- I don't I don't really have like this giant confidence in in McKenzie or uh, you know the other guys we've mentioned Andre because Roberts, it's like it, right. yeah because yeah because here's the, the deal they're going to be I think like the third option on this offense. It's obviously it's it's right there that it's it's, it's Beasley and it's John Brown. Those and are it's like increasingly becoming Knox too, so he might even be the yeah. fourth option. So like yeah, so that's you know they're they're all that's the options right now. There's not an I, I, you know I, it's weird because in a way I don't think they're they're good, but they're not great. The wide receiver core, but it, it's it's a numbers game. Like he's like the third option right now. It feels like so if he leaves and you put in McKenzie, I don't know. Like is McKenzie all of a sudden? Going to get a lot of balls. Is Robert Foster going to get a lot of balls? Again, last year it was different because Zay and Foster were the only guys that, that were worth a damn on this team, you know, for Josh Allen to throw to. And now there's more and there's more competition. I so, get the sense that you feel like Zay Jones is not saying he's part of the solution as opposed to the problem, but he, there's a lot bigger problems than the third or fourth receiver on the Bills right now. I get a sense that that's what you're feeling is, which obviously leads to Josh Allen. And I mean, ugh. Such a conundrum. He he truly is because, listen, I never thought the guy statistically was going to set the league on fire. Just the style of play he is. But, I mean, look, you cannot argue that his numbers right now are terrible. I'm just going to throw a couple of them out there. And I'm not much, typically, I'm not a big stack guy either. But when these are numbers that are like this, you can't ignore them, okay? This is the franchise quarterback. And at the end, I got a point to make, too, before I turn it over to you. He's 22nd in the league in passing yards. That's not good. He's 43rd in the NFL right now in quarterback rating. That's awful. He is. He only has three touchdown passes in four games, and he's tied for the lead in the NFL with six interceptions. He's got 18 picks and I think 13 fumbles. Not all were lost, though. In his first 15 or 16 games, I don't remember which one it is. I am here. Here's the thing. I'm okay with him struggling early in his career like this. I'm not happy about it. I could deal with that. What I cannot deal with lately is being on social media and people making excuses for him that he's young. Bullshit. 
Okay. I'm tired of hearing it. The <laughs> score again. Keep going. Okay. Passing yards. Okay. Sure. Passing yards. I'll give you that. I'll give you quarterback ratings. Does he take too many sacks? Sure. Does he make bad decisions? To an extent, I'll give you that. Saying he's young. But the turnovers, the ugly turnovers, fumbling the ball, the interceptions he's throwing, bullshit. Be smarter. You might be young in the NFL, but you're not freaking. See, I, I held myself off there. You're not 15 <laughs> years old. You're not a junior in high school. You're in the NFL. You need to be smarter. Protect the football. I don't care how young you are as a quarterback. You need to know that. He's not doing it. Fans are defending this guy way too much, and that's what's pissing me off. Call it like it is. Wow. Damn. You're, you're, I don't know if I can top that, but uh, <laughs> yeah, you have a lot of, you, you're saying a lot of valid points. Look, you know, the turnovers are an issue for me right now, and there's this kind of this sentiment of like, he's like a young Brett Favre. Like, Brett Favre used to throw interceptions, and but then he would throw like four touchdowns. Yeah, and I've said it. You know, too. I've said you, yeah. to be fair, oh, I've well, said it. Okay. No, well, I'm just saying, and I don't, I don't really, I don't buy that because Brett Favre would at least come in with like these 300 yard games. Mm-hmm. He'd have like a four touchdown, three, two interception, 300 yard game. You know what I mean? And, and Josh hasn't done that yet. You know, right. his yards, I, I, every week and I haven't done it this week yet, but uh, I will probably at some point, I always compare what Josh Allen does in, you know, with his peers at his age through his starts. Like I always compare him like within this decade to all the quarterbacks who are second year guys who have started like 15 games or whatever his game starts are. And his numbers across the board, touchdowns, yards, completions, quarterback rating. They're not good. Okay. Like the only thing he's, the only thing he's good at is rush is rushing yards. And like, he's okay at total touchdowns when you put in running, when you put in the running stuff, like in the passing stuff, that's what he's good at. Everything else he is not good at right now. And he needs to, you know, it's, it's, he needs to stop being like this throwing, chucking the ball up in the air. Like he does. Uh, he, he needs to like throw the ball away for once. And you know, he's, he's inconsistent and that's what it is. He's either, he's either okay or he's terrible. And he's not you know, learning from t- his mistakes either. He's not learning from his mistakes. He talked about Cincinnati last week, that ugly interception said he'll never do it again. Guess what he did? Very next game. Yeah. You know, those kind yeah. of interceptions. Well, I'll stick up for him a little bit. It was against New England. That defense is loaded. You know, it's a lot better than those three teams he played before. Sure. And it's going to be interesting. I don't know if he's going to be playing this week, you know, with the, with the concussion stuff against the Titans. But, you know, the Titans defense isn't bad either. Isn't bad either. I mean, no. they, they dominated Cleveland this year already. Uh, and it's it might be the same system that New England kind of runs, you know, since Vrabel's there. I'm glad you uh, brought up the concussion, by the way. Good call on that because there's another concern about Josh Allen. Didn't he yeah. get hurt last year too? He got hurt last year, right? The arm. The yeah. arm. Right? He hurt his arm the, last year. He's got a concussion this year already. The way he plays football, man, that's something you yeah, got to be concerned know. about. This is two injuries now in less than one full season as a quarterback in the NFL. That's concerning. An interesting piece that someone should do is like looking at the shelf life of mobile quarterbacks in comparison to pocket passers. Because I, I can tell you between like Mike Vick, what we're seeing right now with Cam Newton, you know, these guys are, they get hurt a lot. Of, they, they, they sometimes they'll have their birth, their spurts where they're okay, but then wear and tear takes over. It's a little bit like a running back where a running back, like when they hit like the 30 age, you know, it, all that wear and tear catches up to you and your career is kind of in the, you know, you, you kind of go off into the sunset. And I think 
that's a concern. If you're a running quarterback and you're getting sat, you're, yeah. you're getting hits, you're taking hits when you're running and all that sort of stuff. It, it wears, it's wear and tear on you. And he might be fine. You know, within the next like the next five years, but then after that, that's when things start going bad. When it's like, okay, now these injuries start popping up. Like with Cam, you know, Cam was awesome, and now Cam's shoulders messed up or with knee, and yeah, like he's probably you know, done. It's, yeah, he's probably done at this point. He, I think he's done anyway. Cam, I mean, yeah, I mean, just if you're mobile and they, your, your shelf life's not as as good, but you know, he just Allen just needs to. I need a good Josh Allen game soon, like a legit. I think with him with Bill's fans and everything like Bill's Twitter, it's a perfect storm for Josh Allen in terms of like a PR sense, because a, you know, he's a nice guy. He does all the, you know, he does autographs. The bills are pushing him as being like, you know, the next, like the next big thing in terms of being like the, the, the Mr. Buffalo or whatever the heck. Right. Like, so that's going for, that's going for him. You then have it to where fan, like people, nation, national media, quote unquote, are against him, which, you know, we all know Bills fans, if some, if the outsiders are against you, they're going to rally around you thing. And then three, when he came into the league, his expectations were not like great. Like we, we kept hearing that this, this guy's a project. He's not ready to play. Yeah. And he's been, if you base all that, like we're just lowering the bar so much because of all those points I just made about negative of the outsiders and what he was coming into when he makes a pass or he makes a couple of plays, it's like, woo, woo, because we've lowered our standards so much. And on top of that, you know, I put one more thing in there. You know, the quarterback play for the last 20 years hasn't been good. So you throw all, all that in, and when Josh Allen makes a couple of nice plays, or we're like, oh, look, his completion percentage is this now. It's gotten better. But then you look at, like you said, you rolled off the stats of him against everyone else right now in the league, and it's not good. And when he makes a play, I think, you know, it, it gets – the excitement gets ramped up way a little bit too much. And we talked about this after the Jets game when he had four turnovers and we got we get we're getting tweets of people saying that those turnovers weren't his fault. And it's like he had four. You yeah. know, and then like even even this week, like he has those interceptions and it's like, well, Zay Jones didn't make an effort. No, and it's like, they're, well, they're Josh Allen's fault, man. No doubt yeah, about it. Yeah, like don't don't chuck it. And you know, it, it does it does stink because he got hurt and he did have that one really nice drive coming out of the half where he looked good. He had like he had like seventy yards, like he doubled his his total from the first half. So it's 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 it, the injury happened at the worst time because we could have been talking about a nice comeback. But like I said, the bottom line is this: if he wants to be a turnover guy, you know, he gets turnovers to a game, not to a game. God help us. But like if he's if he's doing that where it's one to two a game, he has to come through with like yards and touchdowns. You know, it has to, it can't be, it has to be like, he has to be better at he, making he's plays. Gotta find than, a way to, he's got to find a way to avoid the turnovers, especially the kinds that he's getting. He'll never be a good quarterback with these turnovers ever. I don't care if he's playing in 10 years in the league. The good thing about good quarterbacks limit their turnovers and they score in the red zone. Those are the two traits that make a great quarterback. You can't turn the ball over. And here's the last thing too about Josh, I, it's okay to be a Bills fan and believe in him and still think he's playing like shit because that's what I'm thinking right now. I do not like the way he's playing football this year. But having said that, I still believe in him. On the podcast on Tuesday, I was talking with Jeff Boyd, and I blame that game 100% on Josh Allen. People were run off all these other excuses. Cody Ford, the penalties, this and that. Sure, Josh Allen was the worst player on the field, and that's why they lost. But, and this is the point I'm making, I still believe in him because I'm going to be completely honest with you. And I mean this right now as I'm talking to you. 
if he did not get hurt and if he got that ball in the last four minutes, I feel like he would have somehow found a way to score a touchdown and the Bills could have won that game. As bad as he's playing, I still believe in him, but he's not playing good football. Why at do you all. why do you believe in him though? And that doesn't that doesn't make any sense. I, I just you just, you just, you just went off on a fifteen minute like oh he's hasn't I, been good. I've seen but... it. He did it against the Jets. He didn't fold with the four interceptions. He played well in the second half. He did it against the Jets. Now granted, these are the Jets and not the Patriots. But he did and it against Mosley the Jets. was hurt. He did, okay. And Mosley got I don't hurt. Care who was yeah. out there? It's the point that he did it. He did it against the Jets, and he did it against the Bengals. He gave now. Don't get me wrong. He gave the game away against the Bengals to have to be in a position to score a touchdown. But he made plays down the stretch. I just get this feeling that this is a guy who can make plays when he absolutely has to. But you cannot continuously turn the ball over three times a game because you won't be in the position to be down by six. If it wasn't for an absolutely heroic effort by the defense, they're down. 24 points and Josh Allen's on the, on the sidelines with a baseball cap out in the fourth quarter because they got blown out. Not because he got hurt in a six point game. The defense saved his ass. But having said that, I still feel like he can bring the team down and win a game. If it's a one score game in the fourth quarter, I like that about him, but he's not playing well. Hmm. That's just All my- right. I mean, no, I mean like, look, he's, he's, he's had some really good fourth quarters this year. That's, that's been probably maybe his best quarter. Yeah. You know, with what he with what he's done. Uh, but look, it's it's a long it, it's a long process and he, he he has to get better. And, you know, there's it's going to be interesting to see what happens, because like the Titans, that's a, that's a tough game. You know, the, those first three games, like, you know, an objective Bills fan would sit there and go, hey, look, like they're three and oh, but they haven't played anyone. Yeah. And that's what I kept having in the back of my head. Like, yeah, Allen looks OK in those games, but he's they're. They're playing nobody right now. And I think that's like the biggest thing going for Bills fans and everyone is like, okay, hey, the AFC is kind of down this year. You, you know, you do the Howard Simon picks the Bills thing and, and it's like, oh, 12 and four, he picks. And, you know, I could see like 10 and six because the, the guys they're playing aren't as good. But, you know, you're still going to have those games coming through where, you know, it's it's probably still early because maybe, maybe all these other teams that we think are bad are going to pick up. I mean, Pittsburgh's two, two and two now all of a sudden. You know, so it's it's uh Dude, it's an interesting Sunday's, Sunday's a big game, man. And a lot oh, of yeah. win, a... I think I think in some ways is better than or it's bigger than the New England game. Win or lose against the Patriots, we're not winning the AFC East. I think everybody knows that. At the end of the year, we're not gonna be tied with the Patriots. There's a good chance we could be fighting for a playoff spot and Tennessee's one of those teams where a head to head record against them might be more telling than if we beat New England. And I know the bye week's coming up after this, and this is the last Bills point here, and everyone's so quick to say, well, you know, rest Josh Allen, get him right, let him get the bye week because they're on a bye after this, and then they play Miami, which is kind of, in a way, like another bye. Same thing with Devin Singletary. If he's not exactly 100%, don't risk it. You know what? If these guys can get out there, get out there, because this is a big game on Sunday. Again, in some ways, I think it's better or bigger in the Patriots game. So we're taping this late Wednesday night. We don't know the status of Josh Allen, if he's even going to practice. So I would suspect Thursday will probably be the same thing as Wednesday. People will hear this Friday. We don't know if he's going to play yet or not. But if he could get out there, don't baby him. He needs to be out there. Yeah. No, no, he, he does have to be out there. And I think he, I, I have a feeling he's going to be out there. Maybe. I, I don't know. You know, one thing I want to th- throw in there real quick, and then we'll go, we'll, we'll get to wrestling <laughs> is his concussion, I thought it was super weird that he they were examining him on the sidelines, and then all of a sudden, with his helmet on, he like sprinted to the to the locker room. Yeah, and we all thought maybe he was going to come back and pull a Willis Reed and yeah. like he was out. He's in, that's so weird to me. Yeah. Like you would think these doctors 
would have like a better like regiment of like, okay, we think someone has a concussion. Let's take his helmet off and have him calmly walk back to the locker room. I don't think running to the locker room with a concussion on with your helmet on is like good for your, your head. I mean, I'm, I'm not Dr. Nick Riviera over here, but like that's, that just seems bad. Sorry. I, I just, that just popped in my head. Cause I was just super weird that that happened when, when, when it did. So yeah. we'll see. I, I'll say this McDermott, you know, him, he is so like weird when it comes to like not giving anything away. And you know, he's going to milk Josh Allen in concussion protocol until like, until like Sunday at 11 o'clock AM where we get the list like, Oh, he's out of concussion protocol. He's playing. I agree. You know what I mean, I agree. And again, we're taping this late Wednesday night and people are hearing this Friday. My anticipation, I anticipate him being limited again on Thursday and who knows, maybe by Friday people listening don't know something, but you, you mentioned wrestling before we get out of here, just a couple quick minutes. Again, we're taping this literally right after AEW and NXT went off the air. Big night for wrestling fans. Kind of an historic night in a way. The debut of AEW on TV. Not going to deep dive into it because, frankly, again, we haven't had time to even really digest it ourselves. We're taping it minutes minutes after the shows are done. Um, AEW, real quick, the crowd was amazing. I loved the familiar voices with JR and Tony Schiavone on the call. Um, Excalibur as well. I don't know anything about him. But there were some cool things about the show. And I'm just going to hit on a couple points real quick. Uh, they had a female, I don't know if you even noticed that, re- referee in the first match ever on TV. I thought that was pretty cool. It shows a little progression. I like MGF. MGF, I think he's going to be a big star. They had Jay and Silent Bob in the stands at one point performing their movie, little star power. Packet Hangman was a pretty good match. That Nyla Rose, by the way, we'll talk about her another week. Did not know transgender. Found that out on Twitter tonight. I was like, holy shit, this, this woman's amazing. Found out transgender, whatever. That Ryho, wow. you didn't know that either? I didn't know that either. Well, good, good you learned, I learned good. this an hour ago and now you're learning it right now on the air. Anyway, that Ryho, wow, she's really good. First ever champ. I thought that was really cool. Moxley, that was awesome with Kenny Omega. Jack Hager, of course, former Jack Swagger comes. That's how they went off the air. Really, really good first show. NXT, good show too. I mean, they came out with their guns blazing right away. Riddle and Adam Cole, that was a really good match. Cole retained the title. Finn Balor comes out afterwards, says he's NXT. Obviously, they brought they wanted some star power right away to kind of keep the channel on there. Um, NXT fans, they're, they're very spirited, which is, you know, I think that's important. I feel like if this was Raw or SmackDown going against AEW, within 10 minutes, you'd probably be hearing CM Punk chants like 10 minutes into the show. That's usually what happens when you watch a SmackDown show. Uh, Johnny Gargano wrestled. Shayna Blazer defeated Candice LaRue. I, dude, I'll tell you what, man. I, I think Shayna's going to be one of the biggest stars in WWE when this is all said and done. And then their main event, Street Profits, wrestled uh, Undisputed Era. And it was a great match. And, and Tommaso Ciampa came out at the end and stared um, Adam Cole down, who came out. Very good show as well. Both shows were good. Obviously, I personally give the edge to, to AEW because it's the first week, and I'm more intrigued about AEW right now. What were your quick thoughts? I know you, you were flipping around with your remote trying to catch as much as you could. Yeah, I mean, I was mostly stuck on the uh, on AEW Dynamite. I flipped back and forth between, you know, during commercials to NXT, and I saw some stuff. And I was watching Twitter as well. Uh, I noticed a few things. You know, I love – you kind of touched on this. Shivani, Jim Ross, like Shivani, Shivani still, like, has it. Like, he's got yeah. the same voice he had I thought I was listening to Nitro. Nitro tonight at times. It was 
weird. Yeah, yeah. Like he's got the same look. He looks great for his age. He's almost mm-hmm. like sixty. That guy. Mm-hmm. Like I, I hope I look that good at sixty. But he's got the same. Vo- like he, he just sounds the, the same. That presentation is good. It's more sport than like sports entertainment, yeah. which I, I definitely, I definitely dig. You know, Cody Rose is, is a star. Like he's awesome. Like that first match was great. The crowd was hot for it. You know, the young bucks are awesome. Like they're, they yeah. just do so many good moves. I mean, they're, they're, they're like trailblazers. Cause they're a tag team. That's like the road warriors, like Hardy boys, like people come to people to pay to see them, you know, and you don't have that in the WWF right now or WWE, excuse me, where you have a tag team where it's like, Oh, Hey, I can't, I can't wait to see, you know, Dash and Weidler or whatever. Like those, they, those are guys who have made money. They've done well in New Japan. Like people love them. Like they're the, they're like the second most overact, you know, with within that whole within AEW, mm-hmm. I would say probably. Uh, it did seem like, like you know, going back and forth. I found I found it interesting that both both programs had a lot of the, the split screen with the commercial and the and the and, and matches going out at the same time. I noticed that they had a lot of that going on. I know Raw has done that before, where they, where, yeah. they, where they do the split box. It was it seemed a lot for these two shows, and I think they knew that because it's like, hey, don't switch over to the other guy. And I think I think NXT planned it more. Like, hey, they you said it. They started off with the bang with the with the with the title match. Finn Balor saying he's going there. I have a feeling Kevin Owens is going to go there. Like, I, I I I can see maybe him losing that loser leaves town match that's supposed to happen on Friday with him and him and Shane. I could see him losing and maybe he goes to NXT. You know, but NXT. I've been telling you NXT has been great forever because yeah. it's it's Vince Vince McMahon has nothing to do with it. It's all Triple H. It's his vision. A lot and of these wrestlers, I don't know. A lot of these wrestlers, I'm just starting to learn about because I haven't watched NXT. So I'm kind of excited about it. It feels like, I know it's WWE, but it kind of feels like a separate company in some ways to me because I don't know a lot of the wrestlers. So I'm kind of pumped Why? to watch yeah. that. You know what I'm saying? I, no, they're good. They're good wrestlers. Dude, they're all, these guys are workers. This is not like, you know, this isn't Baron Corbin in like, you know, six moves of doom. These guys all know how to work for both sure do. NXT and AEW. That's what, that's why people are going to watch them. I think AEW, I think it's going to come down to, I'm sure they're going to dominate. I don't, I wouldn't say sure. They're, I think they're going to win the ratings early on because yes. they're brand new. I'll be stunned if they don't. But again, like AEW kind of reminds me a little bit here of like kind of the athletic and the Buffalo news, you know, the athletics, the alternative, the new thing, <laughs> yeah. they're the new toy. Every they're, they're, they're personable. They're, they're an alternative and lots of fans like them. The question with the athletic, just like I feel like with AEW is sustainability. How long, you know, week after week after week, are they going to continue to sell out arenas? Are they going to continue to put on good television shows, kind of shock fans a little bit and keep them engaged for the long term? That's going to be the only real question with AEW because right now they're hot. Are they going to stay hot? That's the question. You think so, too? They got the money to do it, man. And that's always been the key. And I think they're an alternative. They're different. And I think I think they can, you know, especially with, you know, because it's funny with the whether they're going to do better than NXT. Like, I do think they'll they'll rate better this week, but it's they're going against NXT, which is also kind of an unknown product. Like you're you're a hardcore fan if you know NXT. Yeah. You know, you have the network. It's not like it's not like they were going against Raw, like SmackDown. We're moving it to Wednesday or something like that. Or Raw, like an established show. It's NXT, which is not. It's different. It's it's different from Raw and SmackDown. So it's kind of like the same thing with 
they're both newer brands in a way, especially NXT, because NXT always has. It's been around, but they're always taking guys in and out. Yeah. Like they're going, people are going to the main roster, people are staying there, you know, blah, blah, blah. I so, think you'll see it even more so now that they're going head to head. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm curious to see what the TV 14 stuff. I mean, uh, JR swore tonight on TV. I, I saw that or when towards the end, that was kind of funny. I was like, oh, wow, you can say that. he said your he said your favorite word, the S word. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, that's the TV 14 element right there. So I'm curious to see what TV because I don't even remember. Like, what is TV 14 wrestling in 2019? Because 20, twenty four TV 14 wrestling in, like, the early 2000s was, like, crass and, like, you know, innuendos and, and gay stuff. Like, you know, gay, like, you know, making gay jokes and stuff like that. I don't think you're going to have gay jokes on on AEW in 2019. They'll get, you know, they'll get killed for that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it was a lot raunchier what made, twenty like, TV 14 uh wrestling during that time that's what it that's what was raunchy about it it was always like swearing and all that you know perversions and stuff like that and i i don't think i don't think a tv 14 product in 2019 is going to be those types of jokes so i'm just curious what are they going to do are they going to have more blood you know exactly what it's going to be or i guess you can say the s word or the f word maybe who knows you know one last thing too about tonight before you hit your finisher here i was waiting on either show for a surprise CM Punk appearance at the end of it. I really was. I thought maybe uh, there's been all this talk about CM Punk might go back to the WWE, whether it's an announcer, performer, down the road, whatever. So I thought maybe he signed something and he would show up at the end of NXT and really get the fans talking about that or vice versa. Maybe it was a swerve and he, cause he's been talking a lot in the media and he never does that. He never talks about wrestling well, openly you- in the media and he's been doing that lately. I thought maybe he was possibly setting us up to think he's going back to WWE, and then he shows up at the end of AEW tonight. I was kind of half expecting that. It didn't happen. We got Jack Swagger, or Jack Hager, or whatever the hell is. Yeah, Jack Swagger. I'm not a big Jack Swagger. No, I mean, but he is. He was always. It was, a, it was a nice. It was a nice addition. We'll you know, see nice. what they. They'll see. They'll see what they'll do with him. With with Punk though, there was a report tonight on Wednesday that he he was signed with the the Fox WWE like that the that show yeah sports show Fox. or whatever. Yeah, that they, that Fox hired him so. You know, maybe he is. And look, the thing about Punk is this: like he, he, when he left, it was all about, oh, they treated me badly, blah blah blah. But at the end of the day, he's a businessman, and part of the reason why he was pissed when he left was he didn't, he felt he wasn't getting paid enough. Now there's so much new money with AEW and this war and WWE with the TV deal. He can go in there and be like, I want double, and they, they got the money for that. So we'll see what happens with him if he comes back or if it's a war, but. They've talked to him in the past, AEW, and and nothing has has come about it. You know, I hope he. I would. Where would you rather have him go to, AEW or WWE? WWE. Really? Oh, yeah. I just. I don't know. It just feels right. It just feels right. Um, I mean, it, it would be a bigger score for AEW. It would be a bigger sure. game changer for AEW than it would be for WWE. We'll see, though, man. And I'll tell you what. Next week we'll have another segment about wrestling. Because we'll t- we'll review SmackDown being on Fox on Friday night. There's a pay per view on Sunday. Oh, you're we'll gonna have me. The- you're gonna have me on next yeah, week. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna, gonna have a- consecutive weeks because you didn't swear uh, and you I, didn't I, cu- I, and you didn't cut me off a lot. So I'm gonna I'm gonna bring oh, you back. Jeez, <laughs> thanks. I, I just gotta remember that for now on to ever come. All right, we're gonna end as always with your finisher. I know it's a Sabres one, so let me preface this one last time here. We're taping this late Wednesday night. The Sabres are playing Thursday night at Pittsburgh. 
if the Sabres win, 8-1, to one, okay? It does not change your take. So people are going to hear nope. this Friday, and the Sabres are 1-0 and all because they beat Pittsburgh 8-1. Doesn't matter. Got your finisher. Hit it off. What do you got? Yeah, I'm not excited about the Sabres at all this year. And I think everyone shares the same sentiment as I do right now, Pat. And, you know, I don't know what it is. You know, it's oh, actually I do know what it is. They didn't make enough changes, you know, this awesome. And, yeah, they got a new coach. But the coach is is talking about like face offs and putting Saboka on the sec- on the second line, and they they made some okay deals, but it doesn't you know it doesn't feel like it's gonna it's a game changer. And I remember back in like June, uh, Pierre LeBron was like, "Oh, they're gonna do roster surgery," was what he said. And this is not roster surgery, okay? When you have Saboka, Gergensons, and Larson still on this team, and Ristolainen, there's so. nothing. Uh, yeah, so there is nothing that is exciting me right now about the Sabres. And I don't know what, what's going to happen with them. You know, this uh, this is a pivotal year for them. It's a crossroads year, I think, with the Sabres. I mean, and Pagula. Like, if, if, it's, if it's bad again, like, I don't even know what to do. Like, to, we, they should just move the team to Hamilton at this point. Because it's just, it's enough is enough. Like, it's a, this is like the one of the worst run sports organizations this decade of all four major sports. I mean, they probably, I haven't looked this up, but I'm, I'm going to assume it's one of the worst winning percentage teams this decade of all four major sports. And I'm not excited about the Sabres. I don't think I'm going to do the center ice package this year. I, I'll see what happens, but I feel that there's a lot of empathy or a lot of like empathy, like not caring about them. And I think it's time for a, uh, you know, with the season starting, you know, they better they better come out flying because if they're bad heading into the Titans game, like on Sunday, if they're bad this weekend against the Devils and Pens, you know, it's uh, it's going to be it's going to be dicey. All right, boys and girls, that is going to do it for this episode. Big thank you again, Mary Alice Demler, Channel 2 and Buffalo News anchor. I love her. She's awesome. That was great. Big thrill for me. Thank you very much, Mary Alice. Thanks as well to my man, Joe. The Running with Joe. That's always fun. Guys, if you have not yet done so already, please go ahead and subscribe to this podcast. When you subscribe, you get new episodes before anyone else does. Got an iPhone? Just open up that purple app on there. It says podcast. Type in Analytics podcast in the search box. Hit subscribe. Bam. Literally, that's all you got to do. If you don't have an Apple phone, you can find us on Google Play, iHeartRadio, Citrus, Spotify, pretty much anywhere. Future award-winning podcasts are found. Got new episodes every Tuesday and Friday. Also, don't forget to rate and review the podcast. It only takes a couple seconds, and I say it all the time. Really helps me grow this podcast tremendously. Also, when you're on the internet, when you're browsing, when you're on YouTube, subscribe to the Moranalytics Podcast YouTube page. Just type in Moranalytics Podcast. Going to be dropping all kinds of exclusive audio content really, really soon. Going to have an MP extra series where I have single topics that range anywhere from as little as two minutes up to about 10, 15 minutes. So go there. Again, Moranalytics Podcast YouTube channel. Last but not least, give me a follow on Twitter at PamaranTweets. I'm constantly tweeting out podcast updates, upcoming guests, polls, all kinds of other stuff there. Thanks again for listening. I say it all the time. I mean it too. I really, truly appreciate each and every single one of you that take time from your day to give this podcast a listen, whether it's once a week, twice a week, whatever it may be. I'm very grateful for all of you. So 
Have a good weekend. Enjoy yourself. Go Bills. Hopefully we got a nice win to talk about on Tuesday and uh, talk to you soon. I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Bye.